Although, what's the difference between a violin and a viola? A viola burns longer in the fireplace. <laughs> Yo. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Cloud Machine Podcast. My name is Matt Landry, and in this seventh episode, I'm here with Jeff Kingsbury. Throughout this podcast, we discuss drumming for artists in 2023, similar influences and references, Jeff's origin story, and the connection between comedy and music. We also play the producer's game. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cloud Machine podcast. For those who are new to the podcast, Cloud Machine is about the music industry and its stakeholders, meaning everyone that works in it, lives it, loves it, and surrounds it. Our goal is to shine a light on roles, people, and realities of the music industry that are often forgotten or taken for granted. Whether you're someone that's dreaming about making a move in the industry, have some songs recorded and don't know what to do with them, or just a listener that wants to learn more, you're at the right place. This week, I have the immense pleasure of welcoming one of my great friends and drumming peers to the podcast. Jeff Kingsbury has performed live and recorded with a variety of artists in North America and Europe, including, but not limited to... (laughs) <laughs> Pony Girl, Elevator, El- uh, Mauno, Jenna Lauren, Scattered Clouds, Pleasurecraft, Marie-Claude, JK3, and many more. <laughs> Besides drums, he also plays uh, percussion, uh, guitar, bass, synth, and sings. He's an Acadia University grad and endorses Dream Symbols. Uh, Shout out Dream Symbols. <laughs> Jeff is also a booking agent, show promoter, and tour manager whenever summoned to do so. There you go. So without further ado, please welcome Jeff Kingsbury to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jeff, how are you? I'm great. I had no idea you were going to have sound effects. So that's <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's a bunch. <laughs> you like jazz? Oh, no, wait. My name is Jeff. That was, nice. that was, that was oh, for great. you. That one's for you. Nice. Don't um, give them all away yet. Yeah, not, not yet. Yeah, that, the, the, you like jazz was not supposed to come out, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, <laughs> um... Yeah, how are you? you? You're coming here from now Montreal. Yes, I relocated to Montreal from here uh, last November. Hey. And I'm just in town for a couple of rehearsals, a couple of shows. Yes. And just kind of revisiting the old hood. Yeah. So we're recording this on March 2nd, just for those who uh, kind of want to get it behind the scene. This is March 2nd, but uh, so you're playing a show tonight with Pleasurecraft. That is correct. At the Baby G. Baby G. Um, it's kind of weird to because <laughs> no one's going to hear it until after. But it, <laughs> yeah, it probably yeah. was really sick. Yeah, it was sick. Yeah. I heard I heard the first song was crazy. Yeah, like nobody knew what to do with themselves. Yeah, like, yeah. They sold out all the merch. Um, place burned down the next day. It was amazing. <laughs> and then tomorrow, March 3rd. <laughs> tomorrow, March 3rd, I'm playing with an artist uh, called Maya Malkin at Sneaky D's, which yeah. will also be a fun one. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, so when it comes out on March 14th, we'll be able to <laughs> look back on it. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. So one of the first um, kind of questions I always ask everybody is your favorite live show experience um, as a fan, but mm-hmm. also as a um, musician in your case. Um, so have you had some time to think about it? Um, do, do you know, the? F- I guess your first instinct on one, one of those or both? So as a fan? Uh, the first one as a fan is quite easy. It would be, I mean, who do you think it is? <laughs> I think it's... Uh, it's radio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I had the absolute joy of seeing them at uh, Oshiega in 2016. Oh, yeah. 
which was a big show because it was like it was the first time they played in Canada and I think like eight years or nine eight right. years or something like that. And there was just a lot of hype around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Muche Pool. Yes, exactly. Yep. And um there was just a lot of kind of I don't know if it was a time in the music industry or just the way I felt at the time, but there was a lot of kind of like mystique and um, anticipation for the show. You could right. like all the Radiohead nerds, like even just the peripheral just indie rock nerds were just like, man, it's going to be such a sick show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like um, me and my friends, we went like at like two o'clock and just like stood in place like complete nerds with water yeah, yeah, yeah. and like almonds and went to the washroom and shifts <laughs> and like and then as the crowd starts coming in it's like a great crowd like like the crowd at a radiohead show are just like oh love you man like you've never met yeah, 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 it's yeah. not like like you know dinguses but um sure and then yeah you're just like looking around and i see people from all across the country like that i've seen like in different musical um environments okay whoa okay and just like like a guy from Vancouver that I've seen on tour or whatever. So like everyone came. It was like a big congregation. Or yeah, something. yeah. And then the show was just completely nuts. Like yeah, of course. Yeah. So you were you were at sort of near the barrier for that. I'd say ten people back. Wow. Yeah. 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 And I got to like see my like super dumb fan. You know, what, like during the pandemic, how they released all those like live videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of sequentially, um, they released the Oceaga one. You can just see my stupid face, just like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, funny. that Radiohead library, for those who don't know, is sort of like they put out a bunch of different live um, videos from a bunch mm-hmm. of performances. They have all their merch that you can buy um, and see all their videos as well from each record, and it's sort of like divided by tiers. Mm-hmm. Um, I During the pandemic, I had like my Radiohead Tuesdays, mm-hmm. so I would like <laughs> kind of like watch like two or three full performances yeah. like throughout the day at the office. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I was like... Um, um, my f- one of my best friends, Tom, who's also a big Radiohead um, devout <laughs> <laughs> um, disciple, um, I was telling him like I was showing uh, my wife uh, all of these like Radiohead live videos and just like sharing the love that I have for them during the lockdown. You know, so there's just yeah. nothing to do but watch videos, really. <laughs> and then Tom just texted me back and said, "Don't forget to give her water every few hours." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it can it can get that. Uh, it gets a little like, oh, yeah. he's putting the SG on, so it's definitely gonna be body snatchers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. So do you have so so that that would be your favorite as a fan? Do you have one um, hmm. as a as a as a musician? Like except a, except all the JK three performances. Yeah, yeah. those <laughs> are obviously miles above. Yeah. Miles. Um, if nobody uh, knows what JK3 is, it's just this absolute joke of a <laughs> <laughs> bar jazz fusion band where we play like pop covers with with a jazz kind of thing. And I was just joking to Matt; it's ironically probably the highest grossing thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and just playing cover songs, but uh, can we also just highlight just why it's called the JK3? Um, there's various myths around <laughs> okay. the naming of it, but it started out as the Jeff Kingsbury trio. Um, but there's like eight people in the band. But <laughs> the ac- we actually designated the Jeff Kingsbury trio is like um, when I was anytime I'm on tour and we come up, we're at, like on a long drive and we finally get to the venue. We do what we have to do. We check in, load in, talk to the people. Like once we have a minute to relax, the first thing I do is order a beer, a coffee, and a water. <laughs> 
And that's the Jeff James Bridge. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The upper, the downer, and then the like hydrator. You know. Right? Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so that's a, that's so so apart from those JK three yes. shows, um, do you have do you have a favorite show um, that you performed at? Hmm. I was thinking about this. Um, not exactly sure, but one that really stands out is um, in twenty nineteen. I did a three-month tour with Mauno. Okay. And they just put an album out that I absolutely loved. And they asked me to go on this tour. And it was, at the time, just like a total dream tour. Even though it was like, you know, a van, sharing hotel rooms. Right. Not necessarily the most glamorous thing. Yeah. Sometimes, like, literally, like, meeting someone at the show and being like, hey, can we sleep in your like living room and they're like yeah, yeah, yeah. man sure and you don't yeah, know yeah, if this yeah. person's gonna like you know wake up on top of you or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but anyway this tour was like three months long it had its ups and downs we had some really great um shows we had some just super weird ones yeah um but it kind of culminated in a sold out show at the horseshoe tavern in toronto yeah which was um that weekend of shows this wasn't the last mount show ever but it was like the second last one but it was right. certainly the last big one right and it was just like there were so many friends there. There was like at least thirty to forty people that I knew that were like fans of the band, and we played every single song. Um, there was a sweet lineup of like four bands, three or two of which I don't think I'd even heard of at the time. Yeah, um, and I can't remember what they are right now. But, yeah, um, but yeah, it was just like a complete party. Um, the show went perfectly well. We all kind of felt like emotional after it because it was just like. Like, you feel like you're home when you're back in one of the big Canadian cities. Right. It was just kind of a relief to get back. And I think it was after a string of maybe, like, two weeks of shows where, like, ten people showed up or something. So right, 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 right. To just have that kind of reception and just feel a little bit kind of successful. and Right. And just the experience of playing that show when the crowd's so receptive. And I really love playing those songs, and I love playing with those people. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah, a very yeah. memorable show. For yeah. Me, yeah. You're still connected with them? Yep. Cool. Um, Nick actually lent me the car to come here. Hey, so there you out, go. Shout out to Nick Everett. Thank you for the wheels. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and um, yeah, Eliza's just like an absolutely phenomenal artist who's just like kind of starting to take the city and the country slowly by storm with okay. her solo stuff, Eliza Niemi. Cool. Um, if you haven't seen her live before, deaf, check out. There you go. Mm-hmm. Going into the second question that I often kind of ask people as well is... Um, your reflection and your first instinct on Erica Badu's quote, which is um, music and music business are two different things. Um, so sort of getting your take on kind of the balance between the art form and where it's at today with, with the whole business side of it. Um, so yeah, first take on that and also like where, what you think music business or where you think music business is at today and how, how do you, how are you finding your yourself uh, in that? Yeah. I mean, um, I guess as far as the quote literally goes, I would say the latter, being music business, is entirely like dependent on the former. Right. But unfortunately, the business side of things can, like, has potential to kind of ruin and spoil the music part, depending on whatever situation you're in. But um, that's just like an initial thought. But uh, the actual state of things, I guess it's just like, you're not so beholden to, like, the gatekeeping of, like, business anymore. I mean, in certain ways you are to get to, like, certain tiers and levels, but yeah, everyone kind of just has the power to do whatever 
now, like just because of the internet and the way it is and uh, social media. I mean, like if you've got talent, like people will scroll through and watch it. But yeah. Uh, but conversely, because of that, there's just like a lot more noise, you know. So yeah, you yeah, need to yeah. figure out ways to stand out, or you need to find kind of um, just different avenues of working, you know. Totally. Over the past ten years and more now as well, is um, do you find that the music business? Because I guess it's you're one of the first like session musicians I've had on this podcast as well. Um, so from just that side of things. And been playing in the mu- you haven't been playing in the music industry for what ten plus years now I, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, how do you think that just side of things has changed, or not even at all? Maybe it it has been staying st- stagnant. Uh, from my perspective, and may, uh, maybe it's like a testament of just like reaching better levels or something, but. Right. Um, I feel like there's much more of an expectation that, uh, like, the musician gets paid fairly now. Yeah. To the point where, like, I've, I've spoken to a couple of artists lately who who um, run their own, you know, show. Like, solo artists hiring musicians as, you know, side men and side women. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, I would rather not play a show than play a show and not be able to pay my musicians fairly. Sure. Which I love. Yeah. I mean... There's also a part of me where if I really love the music, I would totally do a show like for fifty bucks or a shawarma or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But I just I love that that's kind of like become more of the default because like yeah, back um, when I was playing with people maybe earlier in my twenties, it was it seemed a little bit more of a like, well, let's just do the show and kind of figure it out after. Yeah. Sometimes you wouldn't even get paid anything. Split but. the door, but the door was not really. But the other door is like, oh, you know, I Ubered here, so whatever. Right, I gotta right, right. pay my power bill or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, we all have to pay our power bill. But yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, but that could also just be like I'm surrounded by more people who just have a budget to pay more. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Cool. I think I did more like I probably did more hustling like in bands. Yeah. Back then, as like part of bands. Um, and now it's like less band, kind of more like take and just filling the calendar up with whoever will essentially hire me. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. cool. Um, so I guess going into our first topic that I have in my notes here um, is your origin story. Um, Ooh, nice. the origin <laughs> the origin story is sort of like a superhero kind of thing that I've been using, but mm-hmm. I guess it, it still is an origin story. Um, you grew up in the East Coast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how was that? How was growing up there um, as a musician too? Yeah, I grew up in the Annapolis Valley, specifically a little town called Kentville, uh, hey. Nova Scotia. Shout out Kentville. Shout out Kentville. Or present. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like it's like um, there's not a whole lot going on, like as far as like breadth of music i mean there is some people would argue there is if you can look for it but uh, it's close to halifax which is actually quite a vibrant art city yeah but as a kid they're like in my teens like i wasn't necessarily going to the city a lot until i had like a driver's license right that became more feasible um so definitely like relying on the advent of 
things like YouTube when it first came out was sure. very important for me. Yeah. Um, I remember I would just spend hours on there thinking, like, this is just the greatest thing. Ever. You <laughs> could see, like, Blink-182 playing or whatever. <laughs> right. Or even, like, you know, like, those file sharing, like, Kazaa or whatever. Like, sure. I was all, like, LimeWire or whatever. I was all over those. Yeah. Um, I do remember being in, like, the small town just kind of, like, longing to, like, oh, man, like, this artist I love is playing in Toronto Right. When am I ever going to get to Toronto? Because, right, like, right. you know, a $300 plane ticket back then seemed like an insurmountable thing for my, like, Tim Hortons paycheck. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even though I blew all of my Tim Hortons paychecks on symbols that long of a quit, but uh, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. It was, like, uh, I definitely felt, like, limited by the, what I was able to see live. But because of that, I was I really appreciated when a band did come right to town, like specifically in like the hardcore and metal scene. Right. A lot of those bands would take any show anywhere. Right. So like they would come play like the Colebrook Lions Hall, which is like, is just down the road from Kenville. And it would just be like an all ages show. And because there's nothing to do (laughs) besides go to the bowling alley (laughs) or like uh, the, the theater, literally those are the only two things to do. Um, and the bowling alley is now a furniture store. So. <laughs> um, like, all the kids who were even vaguely interested in music would go to these shows. Right. Like it was, you know, like, Protest the Hero would play. Sure, like, well, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, who else? Like, uh, Holly Springs Disaster. Just, like, any of these sort of, like, um, bands that had a bit of a boom in, like, the metal scene. Misery Signals is a big one. Yeah. So that was, like, a big kind of... Like, just by default, that became a bit of a metalhead. Right, like one of the right. You, you sort of had to be yeah. because of that scene. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. like, you're seeing, like, the coolest parts of it, but you can, you can also, like, if you step back, you can see how it, like, relates to, like, more chill kind of, like, pop music. And stuff. Right. And in high school, was there a scene there? Did you go Did you go to high school in Halifax? I went to high school in, um, like, in the Valley. Okay. So still kind of, like, small town, okay. rural, but... There was like a lot of people in the high school. So. Right. It was there a sort of a, a music? Did you take like music classes? Was there a music program there? Yeah, very good music program. Okay. Um, yeah, very well funded. Um, okay. It was total. It was like it was one of those things where it was like there for you. So right. like, um, you could get out of it whatever you put into it. So me okay. and um, several of my friends who realized we didn't want to go into like finance or something, which <laughs> you know. You know, f- twenty years later, I kind of wish I did. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Looking at my yeah. uh, bank account, but yeah. um, well, now you only need to count to four anyway. So exactly, yeah, sometimes three. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm still working on three. But yeah, yeah. I, I got four now. There you go. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, some of my friends. Yeah, we would just like go to the band room every lunch and recess and play yeah. together, and like you play in the jazz band. And right. You, like that's kind of like unfortunately the extent of your playing, unless you started like. Uh, like out of school with your buddies but um but we also did that too right but it was just it's not like there's like a ton of bars to go down and play like 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 there would be in like toronto or montreal or something right if you really hustled you could go find something Mm -hmm. then coming out of high school you did your application at acadia and Mm -hmm. did you was there something between high school and and acadia or was it direct kind of sort of uh i took a year off um like, so the reason I went to Acadia mainly was because I met um, the percussion teacher at Acadia in high school. His name's Mark Adam. Yeah. Uh, and I just um, wasn't necessarily just like, like, 
what I needed in my life at the time wasn't like, um, I was never like a naturally gifted musician or anything where it's like, we need to get this guy a good teacher. So <laughs> right. he, whatever. Right. I was totally like, I clearly had an interest in music and drum. Like I played guitar first and then I got into drums. Right. And like, I clearly had like an interest in it enough to kind of be obsessed with it, to practice it. And, but my kind of like natural sense of work ethic definitely needed like a fine tuning. Sure. Yeah. And I kind of identified Mark as like, he was like the exactly what I needed at the time for that. Like sure. Not only is he a very gifted musician and one of the most gifted teachers I've ever um, studied with or ever seen, like he also like can knows when to like give you a boot in the butt. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. He's, he's very much in like your first year, like, um, Get up at like six thirty or seven. Start chugging coffee. <laughs> get to the right. practice room. Get competitive with it. You know, don't be like snarky and don't be mean to people. But like, you know, have some kind of drive. Yeah. And I was at a time in my life where I was just like, um, I started to admire like the other students that he had. Um, Older. What they're yeah, what they were accomplishing. Right. And I was just like, I want to be that. And I think that could be a point A to point B of me being a successful performer. Right. And even though it was like a classical, technically classical percussion pr program, but it's also like modern percussion, but it was like percussion, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like timpani, marimba, concert snare drum stuff. Drum set was very much second, but okay. all of that stuff informed. Yeah. Was there ever any room to it for drum set or was it sort of like you do that on yeah. your own time kind of thing? Uh, yeah, there was room. It wasn't in, like, the official kind of, like, like we had goals to accomplish, and that's what our applied, like, lessons were for. Right. But occasionally, like, if if it wasn't, like, like super busy recital season or whatever, like, you could mix in and, like, hey, Mark, can we do, like, a drum set? Okay, okay. Or sometimes you're working on a piece that's, like, a multi-percussion piece, but it's kind of drum set. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote a drum set piece. Just so I could play it on my yes. recital. <laughs> yeah, I r I, I've seen the, that video on, on Instagram. It yeah. pops up from time to time. I was just like, I want to play some drama on my recital. Right. So, yeah, it wasn't, but yeah, it was very much like we're doing percussion here. It wasn't like, right. a, you know, Berkeley, like we're going to study like paradiddles, like 30 second note kick drum sure. stuff. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you think that that sort of teaching informed the drum set for you? Was it sort of like a thing that, like, would you go back and do it differently or? Would you, would it still be like? No, I never, I mean, even still with some like leftover student debt uh, that yeah. I, get, I get to reckon with every month, um, I still would never change like the path that I took. Like, there you go. If not for the people that I met that mm -hmm. are still like great friends and peers. Um, but for um, like Mark would say stuff like, uh, like, there's so many percussion instruments. So, like, if you're, like, studying, like, you know, violin, you're practicing violin, you're practicing violin, and maybe also viola at the same time, but it's, sure. it's just that, you know? Um, <laughs> when you're do not just that, I mean, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, that's not a, um, a dig at violin. No, but, um, uh, although, what's the difference between a violin and a viola? Uh, viola burns longer in the fireplace. <laughs> Yo! Uh, sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, but like he <laughs> he would say because like percussion is like it's like snare drum, bass drum, tambourine, triangle, sure. which everyone laughs at, but it's actually one of the most difficult things to do correctly. Um, 
you know, and then drums up, marimba, xylophone, glockenspiel, like all this, like freaking rain stick or whatever. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah. There's an art to all that stuff, and you need to like find a way to, like, be practicing. Um, find a way in that's like, oh, while I'm practicing tambourine, it's also kind of informing my snare drum playing. You know, right, like right. These things are kind of connected. You just have to get kind of creative with it because we don't have time to spend our entire lives devoted to being a tambourine specialist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. You know, yeah. like it's like whereas you know, violins playing the violin, and then like the tambourine player is just like has to like literally play 19 instruments at the same time. Right. So that's obviously helpful for drum sets. Yeah. We are, we're not just playing drum set; we're playing drums and cymbals and like a weird thing with your foot, and then like yeah, yeah. sometimes uh, yeah. whatever that weird symbol is, you have next <laughs> the clapping sound. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that all definitely applies. And then like. One of my favorite things about um, that I did going to a school like that is like you're like, like I said, there wasn't a lot of playing opportunities right. in town. So you're literally, it's mandatory to be in these like different ensembles. Mm-hmm. Like if it's like a concert band or an orchestra, like it was in the youth orchestra in Halifax. Um, there's different chamber ensembles, there's the choir. And playing chamber music and just playing with other musicians is like the most important thing for getting better, I think. I mean, like, Obviously, you need to be in the practice room and you need to figure out, like, your language so you yep. can, like, speak the language. But, like, um, like I would tell any – if I had, like, a student, say, who was, like, 10 or 12 or something, I would tell their parent if they asked, like, what's the most important thing we could do, whatever. It's just, like, tell your kid to go tell his friends to go buy instruments and then they just need to, like, play together. And right. that's, like, the best way to, like, get good. And so, like, playing chamber music with people, it doesn't matter if it was, like, marimba or, like, some other instrument. Being able to, like, listen to the people around you and establish, like, a trust. Like, you've got their back. They've got your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That totally applies to, like, you know, playing with a rock band this week right. or something. Yeah, because, yeah. like, you need to know once you once you go on stage and you're in that very naked moment of, like, oh, let's start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that everyone on stage has got each other's backs. Sure. Yep. And did you start playing with people, and I mean, just like, did you start playing in bands and for artists after university, or was it something that you that that you were doing in university? Uh, I did it peripherally to university because I wanted to. So like, right. I remember like <laughs> sitting in like first first year, second semester theory class or something, um, just on like Craigslist or could you do something? Yeah. Just looking like I was just like, man, I miss playing rock music and so sure yeah, yeah so i was just like scrolling through and then i found there's this band called the fed pennies <laughs> okay who like kind of got a little they got some buzz out east because they won a radio contest to open for ozzy osbourne at the metro center okay so it was like a big like deal yeah and so i auditioned for them and they're they're at the, they at the time were probably like mid 30s or something okay and i was like 17 or 18 yeah, yeah. <laughs> or no, i know i would have been like i would have been in 18 or 19 oh, I was drinking age yeah so I'll, we'll just call it 19 yeah and uh, I can totally take this <laughs> yeah. in one of those like the worst podcast uh, <laughs> wait no no it's 17 <laughs> no yeah. yeah no and then like so I would like drive my dad's truck up to like the city to rehearse and practice with them totally just on my own like volition okay get back at two in the morning and then go to classes the next day sure although i mean it's usually on weekends but um Mm. um, so that was kind of like the first 
band kind of situation and but that was kind of the only I didn't in my third and fourth year I didn't really have time to do that kind of stuff I had to yeah, really yeah. take this other stuff seriously and kind mm-hmm. of for lack of a better way of saying it kind of get it over with because I, I realized kind of in third or fourth year I didn't love classical pra- I didn't love practicing classical music I love listening to it but yeah I have other friends like my friend Andrew who I studied with he um he's one of these people that just like could practice timpani for like 10 hours or something and wow. I could maybe do like <laughs> three max right and that's just not enough to like get up to like you know to be to be able to have like an orchestra gig that i would want right and then just like the nate i did a few like auditions for like like you know the national youth orchestra and like some other things it's it's a very very time intensive grueling like practicing making mistakes hating yourself (laughs) thinking about it in your sleep like oh man i need to Get that porgy and best xylophone solo. Like, <laughs> am I, am I going to use the right sticking? <sighs> yeah. So it's just right. like, I didn't love doing that enough, I guess. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and so uh, I just kind of admitted that to me. And he's like, you don't have to. Like, you have to now if you want to get your money's worth. Like, right. But like, he was like, I would implore you to finish what you're doing. And I did. And I uh, passed everything well. And then I kind of, uh, after that, I just. I don't think I've touched the timpani since yeah. school. I've, it's just go. been drums since the end. Yeah. yeah, but getting so getting from university to playing with bands and artists and stuff mm. um, was that something that you did in Halifax? Be- so I because I know a little bit of your story. Mm. You moved to Ottawa re- recently after. Yeah, uh, re- I, after university, right? Yes, I got a scholarship to like go um, study language and music in Germany for like six months okay um so the september to like the march after that i kind of i went there and just kind of like you know took some culture studied some language did some traveling um didn't do as much playing as i would have wanted to but um it was kind of just because i was in like a small apartment and i didn't really necessarily have the resources and the connections right um, but I got a lot out of that trip, especially in that I was hungry to kind of get back and play. And I had a bunch of friends who were just like, dude, come to Ottawa. Like, um, we'll start a band. We'll play together. It'll be great. Yeah. Um, and I met through my girlfriend at the time who was in Pony Girl, um, the other people. Yeah. And they were looking for a drummer. And it's just like a pretty easy transaction. We just yeah. got in and then yeah, had like a home base with them in Ottawa for a bunch of years. Yeah, yeah. And then through them, just, like, met other people, like, the classic, like, we shared a bill, and then, like, that band that we played with a year ago's drummer moved to, you know, Fiji or whatever, so... Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Ottawa, Fiji is... uh, Yeah, there's a lot of direct flights. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What do you... So, I guess in my notes here, it's um, sessioning versus being in a band. So, I guess, like, through, through Ottawa... And then years later, coming to Toronto and now in Montreal, um, done a lot of being in a band, but now doing a lot more of, mm-hmm. I guess, sessioning and being a side uh, musician or backing musician for artists. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think are the major like differences there for you? Uh, well, being in a band is a lot less like transactional, I guess. Yeah. It's very much like being kind of, I mean, you have like kind of like a home base to go back to, mm-hmm. which I always appreciated about yeah, yeah. having a band where it was like, even if things were slow, because 
the gig, like the side person thing is very much a, like when it rains, it pours kind of thing. Yeah, yeah totally. You'll, you'll get nothing for like six months and then you have like someone asked you, three different people ask you for something that's all on the same day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just like, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the band's been great for that and it's also like, it's great too when you're like creating the music with these people from the ground up because it's like, it's very much rooted in like, the way that you are socially together, the way you feel about each other, it all comes out in the music and you're like carving out this aesthetic um, with other human beings and trying to connect with like an audience, which I think is one of like the coolest things about right. art, right? Um, and you get to kind of just like take the reins and shape it into whatever you want. Yeah. But um, I also really appreciate like being able to take other people's songs, interpret them and... Um, uh, <laughs> it's a really loud <laughs> drum solo in the background. Um, take other people's songs, interpret them, and um, yeah, not only put my own spin on it, but just like being able to dive in and uh, you still there's still like an element of like someone's inviting you into their like family and trusting you with something and to be able to kind of like hit that out of the park. Right, feels really great. It's the best for yeah, me. It's awesome. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. Yeah, like as I kind of get as I get older, you know, yeah, I'm not that old, but. Um, as I get up there, and like I just kind of ha have less time for like this kind of spacey, flowery language around kind of music and stuff. It's very much just like, hey, can you learn these ten songs? Yeah, we're gonna have two rehearsals. Here's two or three things you should know about, you know, the SPD or something <laughs> or like the two SPDs. <laughs> yeah, the three SPDs on stage. That's an inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I, I love doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, like, expressing it. No, well, no, I no. I think you know what I mean. No, yeah. I mean, for me as well, it, there's always been such a massive difference for, like, between playing mm -hmm. um, with a band and um, with an artist. Mm -hmm. I, I believe, I do believe that there's pros and cons to both. Yes, um, definitely. Do you prefer one over the other? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah actually you know it really depends yeah. at this point in my life I would love to be in a really successful band that like had a real kind of machine behind it yeah but I do love the flexibility of being a side person and um, like you can really if you've got stuff coming at you you can fill up your calendar kind of however you want. Yeah. But you are dependent on opportunities that people are throwing at you. So the ball's not necessarily in your court. But, um, yeah, it's also, like, another great thing about it is, like, well, you're typically getting paid more. <laughs> as a, as a, as a side. Yeah, yeah. Side I mean, that's what I found. I yeah. mean, unless you're at a point where your band's getting like, a lot of grants and stuff. But yeah. usually the money is getting reinvested in the band or literally invested or spent on tour vans and stuff or yeah, yeah. production of albums and stuff but um, yeah besides the money stuff what I really love about um, freelancing is you get introduced to like such a wide breadth of music like like this week I'm playing with first with like a I don't even know how you describe them like industrial post rock pop That's, yeah 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 does that yeah, kind of make it's, sense it's, it's yeah it's yeah. sort of like that yeah. it's like it's like I don't even know how to describe it, but, like, um, kind of nine-inch nailsy with, like, really great pop writing on top of it. Yeah, great lyrics, uh, very, like, 
ambient, not but not in like a musical way, as in like a like more of like a transient thing, like a tran, mm -hmm. like you're in a trance. Yes, and definitely um, like its own like aesthetic. I've never really heard anything. Yeah, about no, like, yeah, that's what I love so much about it. Check out Pleasure Crab music. Pleasure Crab. <laughs> We're just gonna talk like vaguely about something and not actually say <laughs> what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the next night, playing with just, like, straight-up pop music. Yeah, yeah, Which is, like, it's brilliant pop music, but it's just, like, the complete opposite spectrum. Right, yeah, yeah. And um, it's just, like, uh, being able to dive in and learn both of those songs literally at the same time yeah. has been a um, super fun experience. Because then you kind of know you even start to see, like, similarities in the, to the two different styles. Totally. Yeah. And it's it's sort of a skill to be able to do that as well, right? Because you get those guys, those, those uh, people... Mm -hmm. that aren't able to skip the like skip genres like that or like go from one genre to the other. So I, I think it's it really is like a skill to learn about like just like even just like dyna dynamics as well between mm -hmm. let's say like a pleasure craft uh, mm -hmm. tonight on Thursday mm -hmm. and then yeah. a pop more of a pop um, act on the Friday. It's like two yeah. di completely different bags. Yeah, and for me as someone that's like not um, really good at like prolifically finding music like i have some friends sure. that are just absolute encyclopedias of like oh yeah the third steely dan album's like 14 times better than the seventh one like i yeah. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. i don't really know music like that right well. yeah i yeah. do know steely dan yeah pretty well but yeah. ready um, Radiohead, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, but yeah, the thing is I can do that for like three bands. Right, right, right. Where there's other people where they're just like, they're all over the map. They're like, did you hear the new whatever album? It's like, I haven't heard a new album in like six months. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've never even that. heard of that person. Yeah. So it's great for me to be able to be forced to do that. Right. And it's to helping me just kind of like um, uh, widen my the spectrum of music and expectations when I'm learning it. Yeah, and, yeah totally. Um, and when I'm listening. Do you have a different process when you're learning, let's say, songs for live and then um, contributing to a recording project like like Janice Project? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I almost, like, I love doing, like, more, like, kind of the, the writing in the moment in the studio. Yeah. Especially with people, like, with Gianna's Project, Gianna Lauren, me and the rhythm section guys have been playing. They're also in JK3. There um, you go. <laughs> we've been playing together with, um, playing together with each other for like since 2013. Right. So it's like 10 years, and we really have like a shorthand with each other. Like we know what each other are gonna do. Yeah. And we've been playing with Gianna since like I don't know 2017 or something. So Pony Girl. Yeah, Pony Girl for sure. Yeah. And then several other bands, um, but. Uh, yeah, like, w for that project, it's pretty easy to just go in with, like, like we'll d we did a little, like, writing. We're working on a new album now, and we just did a session for it in, like, October or something. And um, we did a little writing session in, like, August or so, um, just to kind of acquaint with the songs. And then we went in, in, like, November with, like, we listened, but didn't necessarily know what our parts were. Yeah. Kind of coming up with some stuff and writing it on the spot. And I love that experience way more because I think the spontaneous coming up with it. Um, and then if you need to go back over it and like perfect it, like this just isn't vibing, let's whatever. Like yeah, yeah. that's also an important process. But coming up with like 75% of it in the moment is my favorite. Yeah. That. Whereas I wouldn't do that for um, like I prepare, uh, a, like I spend a lot of time preparing for live. Shows live, yeah. Because I know that the person who's hiring me probably wants to. Um, spend the least amount of time rehearsing 
And so if I can get like videos of them playing before, right, uh, that's the greatest thing. Yeah. Or um, just any information they can give me on how the recordings differ from the live stuff, and then I'll yeah, even yeah, bring yeah. in charts and stuff like that. Like, yeah. So that's the thing. That's the part I like super prepare for because you don't want to be on stage discovering the music like in front of paying. Yeah, yeah, totally. So. I have another note here: um, Toronto versus Ottawa versus Montreal, and this is just like a very general question. But wh- what have you found? Um, I guess differences between cities as well um, here in Canada. Yeah, good question. Um, music, music industry wise, like not uh, foliage and uh, yeah. how the streets are made. Yeah, and how stuff do you like feel about the uh, tree museum in Ottawa? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, I would say I was just speaking with um, someone just yesterday about this. Um, it's like the main difference I find between Toronto and Montreal. Um, Toronto has like a lot of like. A lot of different kind of opportunities, I find. Right. Again, this is just my experience. Like, people have completely different experience, but yeah, this yeah. is what I experienced. Um, there's just, like, there's a lot of, like, different kind of stuff going on. Um, and it's, you know, it's pretty much all Anglo or, like, I guess not Franco. The Franco stuff's kind of more centered towards uh, Montreal. Yeah. I guess. I mean, yeah. you're Francophone, so you probably know better than me. But, but there's just, like... Um, whether it's like you know, quote unquote, world music or whatever, or like, like straight up pop um, conventions, or like, you know, North by Northeast or whatever, just like there's just kind of a lot of really professional, businessy stuff going on, and I think yeah. that there's probably more access to like, labels and stuff here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That have some more export kind of elsewhere. Sure. I find for me connection to like, kind of the indie kind of scene. Um, is a bit less insular in Montreal. I find yeah. it's kind of easier and a little more welcoming because you've got these kind of like, um, it's kind of like baseline of like Casa del Popolo and Sala Rosa and like these kind of like incredible venues that just support the scene. And then, you know, you've know, you got like the Ritz and you've got like an incredible um, promotion company like Blue Skies Turn Black and some other smaller ones and just so it seems to all work and I've always found it very much more easier to get into. Right. Um from an indie music standpoint. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and then Ottawa is like, I mean, it's just kind of a joke to say Ottawa is like a super kind of sleepy city, but um, I've been to some of the coolest shows I've ever been to in Ottawa. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, back when like the Arboretum Festival was a thing, I saw some just incredible bands there. Mm. Um, people like to laugh at the Blues Fest, or Booze Fest as I like to call it. Right, right. <laughs> but, um, I've seen some of the most incredible shows there. Yeah, just like if you get if you can get in a position where your um, where your band is like opening there, like, and they're really good for booking like live bands. If you don't get it one year you, and you apply and you're not like completely terrible, yeah, <laughs> you'll probably get it the next year or the year after or something. Totally. If you put a good application together, yeah, and then you get like a free artist festival pass, sure, and you go just stumble around and like discover music. Like yeah, I yeah. saw the like I saw like. I've s- I went to the, I never would have probably bought a ticket to the Foo Fighters. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. And I went and I was just like, damn, Foo Fighters are really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just like everything from like saw Saint Vincent there, and then like Run the Jewels, and then like you know you go to the other stage and like Robert Glasper is playing or something. Like, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I feel like I feel like out of the 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 big Canadian festivals, I think Blues Fest is one of the bigger ones. As in like, mm. I think. Honestly, one of the bigger things in Toronto that's lacking is their festival scene. Yeah, because there's not really 
I've always like, thought that, yeah. When you think about Toronto, you don't necessarily think of festivals, especially for, like, popular music. Yeah. there's there's yeah. TG, TG Jazz Fest. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a Harborfront stuff. Um, there's a lot of, like, jazz things going on, but you don't necessarily get, like, that Oceaga yeah. or that Blues Fest or that that big festival that's catering to bigger audiences. Yeah. Um, Didn't they have that, like, two years or something, like, was it called like way out or way home? Yeah, way home. Yeah, but yeah. that that even that that wasn't like in That's like, like Barry. Yeah. Um, so I think we need we need that back. There was North by Northeast, but mm. it's not a thing anymore. Mm. Um, so I don't know. There's like there's there's, there's just this pocket of possibility here, which anyway, yeah, not no, to get too into it, but we, we don't we don't have those like we don't have those big events every year that a lot of people could go into like blues fest whereas blues fest like they're getting like the smile this year they have like um robert plant and allison kravis the lineup's actually pretty sweet yeah i agree i agree yeah uh and like have to dip down and check some stuff yeah and like an oceaga like getting billy kendrick like those those huge 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 names Mm -hmm. that in toronto can only play at scotiabank i love billy kendrick billy kendrick And we're back. Jeff Kingsbury on the Cloud Machine Podcast. Thanks for being here, man. No problemo. Get into it uh, again. Um, influences and references. I mean, it's you're the first drummer that I have on um, in the sense that we can really talk about sort of our influences and references and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hear your influences, do you have like drummers or bands that are like like your top three kind of thing? Like, who are my, like, folk music, I guess. Um, (laughs) When I was first becoming a drum nerd, uh, um, I would say probably the first person I was kind of obsessed with was Josh Fries. Okay. um, Who at the time was the drummer for Perfect Circle and Nine Inch Nails and also kind of just everything. Like, he has, like, one of the longest lists of, like, um, session work as a drummer from, like, 1990 seven to like now right like he's on like the first alvaro levine album sure yeah yeah okay <laughs> but then he's right. also on like I, th- I think he's probably on one of the nine inch nails albums like yeah, again you want to talk about like breadth of, like he's toured with like weezer paramore yeah like, <laughs> huge yeah <laughs> he's playing with the offspring now so it's just like he's all over everything and he, he's one of those people who's just like you see a video of him and he just never makes a mistake right but he still has style Right, and he has a. If you follow him on social media, is one of the most like insane personalities. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen his. <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. Instagram, but it's worth a follow. Yeah, it's just like you're just like, what must it like be like to be his kid? <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, he was one of the first ones, and then just like obviously from a virtuosity standpoint, just watching someone like JoJo Mayer was sure. like a huge thing. You're just like, I'll never be like that, but I'd like to copy some of the things he's doing. Yeah, yeah. And then as also as a drummer, Chris Dave's a huge one too. Like that's like and those are three completely different avenues. Like it's like rock pop. That's Josh Reed's thing. Jojo Mayer's very much like jazz and like trip hop and jungle beats and stuff. And yeah. then you've got Chris Dave who's just doing literally everything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <coughs> yeah. Um so those are th- those are probably the three biggest drum ones for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess musically, actually the other big one for me would be Chris Bear, Chris, uh, Grizzly Bear's drummer. Okay, yeah. Um, and he's this guy that brought, like, um, I really appreciate his playing because he's bringing, like, 
I think he was like quite the jazz drummer when he grew up. And um, at least the way that the other members of the band describe in interviews, he was kind of like the best musician in the band. Or whatever. Right, sure, right, he would right. never say that, but um, and he really brings this like jazz, like musical jazz appro- uh, approach to um, like indie music. Okay, and that's what I was always trying to do with any music I was writing with people. Is like, how can I not just play like Boots and Cats beats? Yeah, <laughs> like brings like paint a little bit more with like broad strokes and try to fit in kind of like weird maybe aleatoric kind of stuff or like uh your own sort of signature yeah exactly well, right yeah, yeah. And without necessarily copying what he's doing but just kind of like it opened my eyes a bit more to like how much space you could take up on an album or how much space like you th- like you're not necessarily taking up space you're taking up a different kind of space so. right right yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, he was very important for me. Really. Yeah, yeah. So those were sort of when you were younger. Do you, are those still like references for you today? Like I know like some of my references would have been more important for me as a younger kid. Mm-hmm. But are they are like is like Josh, Jojo Mayer, mm-hmm. David, Chris? Are they still as important to you now as they were? Maybe uh, depends on the type of music I'm playing. Yeah, but definitely. I'll be playing sometimes, and uh, it's either something I'm doing with my the way I'm carrying myself, or the way I play a specific fill. Yeah, I'll have a thought in my head like, "Oh, that was JoJo's." Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, because you're literally like just like anything else in life, you're kind of just like becoming an a- like a, an average of all of your influences. Yeah, yeah. You're pulling. You're pulling from yeah. from different people. And sometimes yeah. it's like more of a fluid mix. Now that I've kind of like been playing so long i hopefully have something resembling my own voice <laughs> yeah 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 totally but sometimes it'll be a very literal like oh i remember stealing that drum fill from chris dave like on this exact moment of this one video right right yeah. i'm yeah. sure you and i could probably go back and forth on yes those, so. yeah what are things that you look for when you're when you're looking for something to change your life and this is a question that i pulled out like from mm-hmm. yeah I, I was just thinking about this question yesterday um yeah, what are things that you look for when you're looking for something to change your life? Alternatively, is it better to be a surprise or is it something that you always just stumble upon? Like, do you remember what the first time you, like, found out about Jojo Mayer or found out about Chris Dave or, like, mm-hmm. things like that? Were you looking for something? Uh, it's almost, like, I think it would, it's almost never looking for something. Right. And I feel like I won't trust myself to seek something out and have it have enough like it have a significant amount of meaning to me, right? Um, it's like not I as impa- impactful if you if you're going to look for it, kind of thing. Yeah, like maybe it's because I just don't trust my own taste. Okay, sure. Yeah. But like anything, I've anytime I've come across something that really moved me, it was because I wasn't looking for it. So like right. I could tell you the moment I first heard of Chris Dave was like when he put out these like uh, medley videos on YouTube. Yes. When yeah, he, yeah, when yeah. he first put his YouTube channel out, and it was like. It was him just playing, like, it was like a Portishead song connected to, like, a Kanye song connected to something else. Yeah. And people, like, if you lived in, you know, Houston or, you know, New York or if you were just in any way in tune to hip-hop, like, I didn't even know who Jay Dilla was at the time. Sure. And so this is all completely new to me. And I was just mm-hmm. like, how can you, like, you can do that on drums? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then not only that, it was like, it was like a kind of a new type of virtuosity where it was like... It wasn't just gospel chops. Right. There's a lot of gospel chops in it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
But like it's just a different way of playing groove and time. And then I started to try to do it, and then I found that it like it wasn't even necessarily that difficult. Yeah, yeah. It was just about listening and like, like, just kind of getting um, attuned to what that style of music tends to do. Mm. And so it just opened this whole universe of like, yeah. And I just totally was not expecting that to happen when I saw it. And someone sent it to me, and I was just like, I watched it like nine hundred times. And then I don't know. I think of another time too, where like. Um, I was at a festival, uh, Arboretum Festival in Ottawa, and um, there's this band called Braids, who I oh yeah, who I hadn't really listened to anything of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is maybe in like 2018 or 17, but um, the their big album had just come out, which uh, is called Deep in the Iris. And uh, I no one even told me I should go to the show. It's just like let's just go check this band out. I'm sure it's going to be great. They're opening for some other great band. I think they're opening for Astra or something like that. And okay. yeah, they just blew my com- face off like completely. Just like three of them at the front of the stage. The drummer's just like an unbelievable talent. The singer's incredible. The other dude playing is just doing 15 million things. And the music coming at you is just like not really like anything else I'd heard. Right. And the amount of emotion and visceral humanness they put into it was just like so sick. And I was not expecting to receive a performance like that. And it was yeah, one of those yeah. things where I immediately went home and re- like started reading interviews by them and stuff. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And of course it turned out they'd been like road dogging it for like a decade and right. playing on the road since they were like 12 or something. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it normally happens that way. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So that I could say the same thing too for I don't know, like Snarky Puppy or something. Like right. That. First time saw them like on YouTube, I ended up watching the same video like fourteen times. Yeah. yeah, specifically Larnell and Sput, or uh, I'd say like I was always more of a Sput dude. Yeah, um, I do love. <laughs> I'm gonna do launch into a debate about yeah. Snarky <laughs> Puppy drummers, but um, I love. I think Larnell is like absolutely insane. People too. are gonna be like, okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Screw this. Um, but I always loved uh, the live videos that I would watch, and I'd get really nerdy and watch the like, uh, like the the club shows where just someone in the audience is filming and yeah, just yeah. seeing some of the stuff. But like the chances that he's taking and the feel he has, and then how much like respect the other band members have for him. It's sure. Just like, yeah. so and all the other band members are crazy as musicians too. So yeah, it's they're like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. I get that. Yeah. What What's crazy with Sput too is now he's like playing other uh instruments and now MDing like stuff like like Zildjian sessions where it's like it's highlighting the drummer but mm. uh, but he's the MD as well so he's playing keys yeah and like facilitating exchanges between the drummer which is showcasing mm-hmm. Zildjian and yeah. the band so it's like he's acting as like a yeah as a as a sort of meeting point between those drummers like a yeah Exactly. Larnell or like a Mark Juliana or like um Marcus like Gilmore has an incredible Marcus Gilmore, J D Beck, like yeah. all these other like all these crazy mm-hmm. um without saying the word, but cats. Yes. <laughs> um, um but Sput is facil- and uh, it just sort of blows my mind. Do you know I, who he's touring with right now? Sput? Yeah. No. Toto. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kinda perfect though. Yeah. yeah. Um topic four. Comedy and music. I mean, we're two huge kind of comedy heads mm-hmm. um, in the sense of we listen to a lot of po- comedy podcasts. Um, I'm a big stand-up fan as well. 
Um, Which I think we only mutually found out like a few months ago or something. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not <laughs> like a. It's like, dude, you listen to that podcast? That's yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but basically, just sort of wanted to get into it because a lot of the music. I, I guess like the the standard sentence is we always say like, oh, artists want to be athletes and like stuff like that. But it's not. Like, that is true, but it's sort of like musicians want to be comedians, comedians want to be musicians, but they all really want to be athletes. Yeah, yeah it is <laughs> So, true. just talking about the connection between comedy <coughs> as an art form and music, and we're, we're always also seeing a lot of people that are doing both or are um, active in both scenes, like a Chappelle, mm-hmm. that it really vouches for, like... Uh, musicians on stage with him. Um, they had the Ch- Chappelle show f- for a long time as well, mm-hmm. um, getting acts like Mayer, who is also very involved in, in, in the comedy scene now as well. So, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, like, what unites both kind of scenes? And, um, yeah. I think they're, like, um, I haven't really thought deeply about it before, but it's, like, they're definitely both, like, unique um um how do you say professions yeah that they're they're kind of indulgent to the ego <laughs> but sure. um another thing that really like connects um what how musicians and comedians are both creative is that i think that they're they really like fixate on things you know yeah yeah like comedians i think will develop their act by like um, at least the ones I listen to typically, are, it's like things that they observe in their day-to-day life, especially sure. like the really like prolific ones that are constantly writing new stuff. Yeah, yeah. Everyone from like, you know, Sam Morrill to like Mark Normand or any of these people is constantly renewing their act. Yeah, yeah. And um, like it's just stuff that, that they they were win- in the walking down the street and someone did something stupid and they're just like, isn't that crazy that this person does it? And then they come up with like five minutes right. on how that like relates to other humans. But you need to like fixate on something kind of mundane. Yeah, yeah. They're or jamming. Not they're really, they exactly, yeah. sort of are jamming. And especially when comedians get together as well, they're all just like... Yeah, they all bounce jokes off each other yeah, and yeah. stuff. And like, and uh, yeah, musicians do that too, I think, when they're writing songs. It's like... If you're a drummer, you're like fixating on different influences or different musical things from your environment that you're translating into how you're playing. Whether or not it's just like how you're presenting yourself, like aesthetically, or if it's yeah. literally what you're playing. Or if you're a songwriter, it's like I observed and really fixated on this thing about this relationship I had with someone and I'm writing a song about it. Or it's sometimes you hear a song and it's about like, you know, like a like an autumn day. Yeah, yeah And there's, totally. like, leaves swirling around in the tennis court or something. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's just, like, you really fixate on, like, an aesthetic. And mm-hmm. this is something that both professions, I think, do a lot. And yeah. They're both stories, too. Like, songwriters are writing songs about things that they're living. Yeah. And same thing with comedians as well. Sometimes it's also fictional, which is also mm-hmm. a fact, which, which is also a fact in, 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 uh, in stand-up as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like, it's difficult to kind of describe, but it is true. It's like every single comedian that I, pretty much every single comedian that I listen to and respect a lot um, is like a devout music fan. Yeah. Just like a, like a, in their free time, all they do is go to concerts. Yeah, yeah, totally.
And we're back, Jeff Kingsbury, with uh, or at Cloud Machine Podcast. Um, thanks again for being here. We're um, live. We are live, mm-hmm. March fourteenth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the last segment of this podcast is uh, the, the producers' game. I call it the producers' game because I haven't found a real name to uh, to really uh, name it. So please, if you have any comments uh, below, or sorry, if you have any thoughts on it, please comment below on it. Um, Smash that like button. Smash. Yeah. Uh, that's what people say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Smash. Yeah. Smash. Nice. Smash that like button. My name is Jeff. Uh, <laughs> so Jeff doesn't know what's coming, but um, this is the producer's game. I basically ask if you had an album to produce, um, what would be, who would be taking part of it. So if you want to note it down, hmm. the producer's game is all about telling me, if you have a dream album, who would put it out? So the artist, who would be playing on the record, who would be the band on the record, hmm. who would be producing the record, at what studio would, in what studio would it be recorded? Mm-hmm. And that studio can be tr- transported anywhere. So in which city would it be? What kind of budget would it be? I've added I have added two new things here. So what kind of budget would they have? Yeah. And then in what year or what era would it be? Okay, can you repeat those? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, artist. So who would put it out? Yeah. Who would be playing on it? So the band. Okay. The producer. Okay. The studio. Okay. The city. Okay. Budget and era. Wow. So just a, it's just a game that I like to play with some certain certain guests because I sort of wanted to get of a better sense of what where you're going at with your references and what would be like the dream kind of album for you. That's an excellent question. Um, the budget one's easy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Unlimited. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was wondering where people. It's it's something that I, I've added now in the sense that like it'd be. Maybe there's some restraints there too. Maybe it's like yeah. they can only produce this album on uh, uh, Ontario Arts Council budget. <laughs> yeah, just for yeah, realistic so, yeah. vibes. Yeah, yeah. No, unlimited I, is a great answer. I totally get the constraints thing too. Yeah, uh, but um, I would definitely want to be able to like be able to do whatever, like some like the most extravagant thing yeah. possible. Like please, um, like let's. Uh, Let's dip a, a Neumann mic into like water salad dressing or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see what happens. <laughs> you see, you'll never get a sound like that. Yeah. That's where Daniel Caesar got his name. Wow! Oh, salad he dipped dressing. It. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But they heard that. Yeah. Um. So I guess I can go in a particular order here. If yeah, I have an unlimited you? budget, yeah, that would lead me to like where I could do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think it would be one of these things where like. Sorry, I almost wrote on your couch with mm. a marker. Um, <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's seen better days anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. It actually might be better now. Yeah. Um, I think that would lead me to want to do one of these kind of like disconnected from the city things. Sure. Like not necessarily something out in the woods, but um, um, even if it was like renting some sort of super nice castle or something in the UK. Sure. Or, like, or just like a really nice property with a lot of nature somewhere out in Canada. Yeah. That speaks to me a lot more than like um, doing something at one of these classic like on the second floor of a city block and like right, right, Montreal right. or something. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I would say let's say like the hills of Italy. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know. Okay. That's or, great. Or, or, I don't know, northern uh, Quebec or something. But Sure, yeah. But we'll That's just call great. it nature. Yeah, nature, yeah. Well, um, Hills of Italy is, is a good one, too. As far as studio, <laughs> um, I mean, not just because, like, I like what it resulted in, but I really do like the idea in my head of, like, where I think OK Computer was recorded. Sure. Which is like they did literally rent some sort of big mansion. Thing. Yeah. I just, uh, I love the idea of like being able to live in that space. Right. But there being just an absolute abundance of different rooms to try things. Like you could have like a couple different drum rooms with different situations. Or sure. Like, or like back when Led Zeppelin recorded stuff, they would have like, they, like there's a famous... I think the story is it's like when they recorded when the levee breaks. It yeah. was like in the middle of like a huge like entryway or something. Yeah. So you got all that reverb or something. Yeah. There was one of those songs. Yeah, it's, it's the levee breaks when, when they record Bonham at the, at the uh, basically at the bottom of a stairwell. Yeah. And they mic'd it from the, the very top yeah. of the stairwell. Just the ability yeah, yeah. to just do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And have confidence. Uh, and then like you can have like a crazy reverb room and then you can have an amp in the attic or something. Just like, yeah, yeah. just... And that is why having like an unlimited budget would be great because like I I would picture this thing being if it was like my my masterpiece. Like yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> if it was like my like um, apocalypse now or like you know just like something that took like four years or something. To sure, make. yeah, yeah. And we're not going out of there until it's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, okay. So that's what I would do. Um, so I don't know, studio, just castle. mansion, <laughs> <laughs> producer. Um, it could question. be a, it could be a producing group too. Yeah, I would want to have probably have old Nigel on that oh, bad yeah. boy, um, just because I like everything he does, even not with the right head. Sure. Like, um, the Paul McCartney records. Paul McCartney wants a good album called "The Different Ship" by Here We Go Magic. Okay, it's a fantastic album. Um, yeah, just some a lot of the stuff he does with like close miking and just really simple sounds he makes them sound just unbelievable like, right like a, a great example of that is just like i've heard a lot of people will test the frequency spectrums on their monitors or even pa systems with 15 step yeah just because of the way that he was able to get that electronic drum sound thing just sounds so sexy right <laughs> right right yeah and it's just like a kind of a dirty weird like delayed thing yeah, yeah. i don't know just simple choices that he makes like that um are great, and but you'd, I probably want something, someone a little more. Actually, I'll answer two questions here. So we'll we'll put the Nige on there. Yeah, Nige Godrich, shout out, Nige Godrich. Yeah, I, and we know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I would also take. Um, I would probably get the the Grizzly Bear dudes to do this. Uh, to perform it. To perform the, the band. And then also get in the production thing, because I love what they do with production. There you go. Um, they take a I mean, they take a lot of weird chances and do a lot of experiments just in the in the uh, in the name of finding cool sounds and yeah. serving songs correctly. Like literally like recording something in a church and then just taking like an SM fifty seven and pointing it against one of the church pews. Sure. To see what sound comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like rando stuff like yeah. that. Um, and uh, I just love like they make these really great, awesome, expansive mixes that it'll either sound. They can also make a really good punchy rock song too. So sure. Yeah, I just love what they do. Um, 
uh, yeah, I guess like the artist, I would, <laughs> I would be like, it would be like me, you know? I'm like, okay. oh, this yeah. is my creation. Right, right, uh, okay. Like, this is like the Jeff Kingsbury experience. Yeah. JK4. Yeah. But if I had the unlimited budget, I would hire all these folks. Yeah, of course. And yeah, yeah. But then it would be like, I, it's like my master plan. Okay, and okay. I'm paying them so they do what I tell them. To yeah, do. okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> or I just like sit around like drinking and they do all the work and then I just put my name on it after. Like, there you go. Yeah. That's another way of doing it. <laughs> um, and then era, it's a good question. Um, I guess for just the way I've laid out this absolutely foolish <laughs> <laughs> experiment, yeah, I would want to just do it in the current kind yeah. of era just because it's so much easier getting analog things to digital and making them sound good and we still have access to like tape and all that stuff but uh, yeah if it was something on a budget and it was just like a band um i don't know like the 80s or something maybe sure i just felt like things were a little simpler back then yeah yeah (laughs) and the budgets were bigger too budgets were bigger and i think you had like more of a chance to like make revenue from uh, from a killer cd sales (laughs) yeah cd sales alone yeah i mean sure you were probably getting fleeced by like some piece of crap like record exec person but uh, sure but whatever cool yeah and we're done i'd like to thank uh jeff kingsbury for being my guest on this week's episode um yeah, it was great to just talk drums, talk influences, uh, talk a bit about your uh, the origin story as well. Very important. Um, very important, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, we were going to hang out a little earlier in the week, and we weren't able to, so it was cool that like the first re-meeting was yeah, yeah, microphones. Yeah, yeah. So. Please talk to me about Radiohead and Chris Dave. <laughs> but even like the, the, the producer's game was cool. Like I didn't know you were going to go castle vibes. I didn't either. Yeah. I literally didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And so... No, it's I'm, great. I'm really interested in where I came up with, and yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, following through with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Nigel, if, if you are listening to this... We know you are. Yeah, we know you are. Mm-hmm. Please contact us. Yes. Um, I also want to thank those who have been listening to the podcast uh, every week. Thank you very much. Um, you can uh, get in contact with Jeff at... Um, uh, online. Uh, socials mm-hmm. at... Uh, My Instagram's at... Jeff RKD, the D stands for drums, which is kind hey. of a weird handle, but it was okay. the shortest one I could find that made sense. There you and, go. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool. Um, yeah, thanks everybody again. Uh, we'll see you uh, next week. Uh, as always, stay th- stay safe, and um, thanks for listening.